Well, praise God. Good to be in the house of the Lord. If you've got your Bible tonight, open up with me. We're almost in Revelation. We're in the little book, the little one-chapter epistle of Jude that's right before the book of Revelation. Some call uh, this epistle of Jude the vestibule to the book of Revelation, and it kind of is because it deals with the conditions, basically, that we are seeing today. Jude dealt with it and saw it coming in in the early church, and uh, the same conditions we're dealing with as well today, right before the coming of the Lord. A time of apostasy, and that's what Jude deals with. A time of falling away, a time of a departure from the faith, a time of false doctrine and false teaching. And I tell you, there's always been false prophets and false doctrine and false teaching, but I don't know that I in my life and ministry have ever saw it uh, to the degree that, well, that we see it today of false teaching and false doctrine that is just so prevalent, false prophets that are just so prevalent in the world today. And then, uh, you know, just, it just seems to be everywhere you turn, there's false doctrine and false teaching. I, I run across stuff every single day that it just, just blows my mind of the things that are being taught, what is being taught within the churches today, and what is being, um, being accepted into the churches today and uh, affirmed in the churches today. And so, uh, you know, Jude was seeing this in his day, and that's why he uh, wrote this little 25 verses is all it is, but this little epistle, but it, man, it's chock full of stuff. Uh, we were talking before service, Brother Steve said he, didn't, he couldn't remember ever hearing anybody teach on the book of Jude, and I said, I don't think very many do. Because it's it's a, there's a lot of things in here that that uh, Jude deals with that people definitely don't want to hear in these days. But you and I need to hear it because it's written to us. It's written to the believers, and it's some things we're going to need in uh, in order to stand in these last days in which we're in today. Amen. And so, you know, uh, in, the, in those early years of the church, uh, Paul dealt with it as well in his ministry. Those Judaizers and false teachers that came in, but there were those, there were liars in the early church. There were truth twisters that, that arose that would, that would twist the Word of God and rest the Word of God, the Bible says, and they would, they would change the Word of God. And their motive in doing that was to deceive and to mislead and to hide the truth and to introduce their own doctrines and their own theology and uh, when you think about that, why would people want to do that? Well, you know, Satan is the one behind it all. And uh, liars have a lot of motives for the reason that they lie. Some, some people lie to make a sale. 
uh, or to win an election. Surely that nobody would lie to do that. Um, uh, <laughs> some people lie to hide uh, something that they've done wrong or to cheat someone. But whatever the reason, a liar is exposed. A liar is always exposed by the truth. And when the truth is revealed, truth always reveals the false. And that's why we've got to have the truth in these last days in which we live today to reveal what is false. And, and I want to get into this in a little bit here too, but it's the pastor, the shepherd's responsibility to feed the flock of God, but also to warn the church and the, and the saints of false doctrine and false teaching and false teachers uh, to warn them and make them aware of, of those things. And so, uh, you know, the apostles and the leaders of the early church gave, they, they were always giving warnings to Christians to be alert and to know the truth and to always reject false teachers and their lies. You know, we can't believe or fall for everything that we hear or uh, see on television, you know, or the radio or that we read on the Internet or uh, YouTube preachers or whatever the case. We must know and you'll be able, if you know the Word of God, if you've got the Holy Spirit and, and discernment of the Holy Spirit, and you know the scriptures, you'll be able to spot those pretty quickly who are twisting the scripture. And uh, I, I, list, I see them all the time on YouTube, you know. Somebody will send me this video or that or whatever the case. And, and, and you can listen to it and, and, and watch them. And, and uh, just here, here a while back, I was listening to some, uh, some teaching. You know, a big thing now, a big thing now is, is deliverance ministries and uh, casting demons out of Christians. That's the thing now, you know, that uh, it's, it's, it's gaining popularity in a, a couple of those preachers I listened to some of their preaching and teaching and uh, the scriptures and the proof that they tried to give to prove that Christians that believers that that born again believers could be demon possessed and I, I couldn't even get through the whole message because they were twisting the scripture and taking so many scriptures out of context and putting their own twist and their own their own belief on it. And I thought, how in the world? And the place was full and people were just shouting them down. I thought, how in the world can people be so gullible to believe this stuff if they know their Bible? And that's the thing, a lot of people don't know their Bible. We need to know uh, the Word of God. We need to, uh, to, to know our Bible. So, so that's what motivated Jude to pin this little short epistle. And um, uh, we're faced with the same danger today. And I want to read the first four verses of Jude chapter 1. Of course, again, there's only one chapter, but the first four verses there, and uh, that's probably as far as we'll get tonight, all right? Amen. We won't get through the whole thing tonight, so don't think that at all. Uh, amen. <laughs> uh, verse 1, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved 
in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Now, here's the key. Here's the key verse of the whole book. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. The reason for that, for certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who have turned, who, who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what they were facing in that day. And ladies and gentlemen, I think we know that we're facing the same danger today of false teachers and false doctrine that we need to be aware of, of apostasy. And that's basically was the, 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 the theme of this letter of Jude was on apostasy and apostate teachers. Now, we know that we're living in that day today because the Apostle Paul said, in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, that uh, in the last days, well, prior to the, uh, prior to the coming of the Lord, he said that, uh, that there would be a falling away. That that day the Antichrist being revealed would not come and uh, except there be a falling away first. Isn't that what he said in uh, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 3? So we know we're living. That, that word falling away is apostasia. And it refers to a departure, a departure from the faith, a departure from biblical doctrine, a departure from the things of God. And I think we can all testify to that fact that we're seeing today that departure from the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ in so many people's lives and churches. A lot of people tonight that one time were in church and were living for the Lord and were serving the Lord are not serving the Lord anymore. So many have fallen by the wayside. That's what I, you know, I've talked about this year being a year. We want to pray that this will be a year that those prodigals, sons and daughters, come home. Amen. It's time for them to come home and get things right with the Lord because Jesus is coming. But there's such a falling away uh, within, the, within, the, um, within the world today and within the church. Now, in 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul said this. Uh, and we're laying little foundations. Is that all right? Getting ready to go into Jude, laying some foundation. But Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter number 4. He said, now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Notice that. Some shall depart. When? In the, in the uh, latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils or doctrines of demons. 
So there's spirits, you know, behind every false doctrine, behind every wrong doctrine, there is a spirit that seduces people to believe that false teaching. There's a seducing, deceiving spirit. We were just talking a while ago before church about um, Adam and Eve and how they were, de- how, well, Eve was deceived. Adam went into it wide, eyes wide open. He wasn't deceived, but the enticement and the temptation and uh, the, the subtlety of the devil and how he can, um, how he deceives people today. How Adam and Eve were led into sin and how so many today are being deceived. And, you know, Jesus said concerning the last days in Matthew 24, when they um, asked Jesus, when shall all these things be that he was talking about? And when shall be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And the very first thing that Jesus said, to them was, take heed that no man deceive you. That was the very first thing that he said concerning the time of his coming. Take heed that no man deceive you, for, for there would be false prophets will arise, and many shall come in my name, and false Christs, and shall deceive many. And Jesus told them in Matthew 24, three different times in that discourse, and warned against deception and against false doctrine. As a matter of fact, and I preached on that uh, parable of the widow and the unjust judge a couple of Sundays ago. And remember the very end of that, of that parable in Luke chapter 18 and verse 8, Jesus made the statement and he said, when the Son of Man comes, when he comes, will he find faith on the earth man that's that's that statement right there from the lord will he find faith it tells us that in the latter days that there will be just a few that will still be in the faith people will depart from the faith paul said giving heed to seducing spirits and to doctrines of demons and then over in second timothy Chapter number 4 in 2 Timothy, Paul said, uh, told Timothy, he said, For the time will come in verse 3, 2 Timothy 4 and 3. Well, in verse 2, let me just read verse 2. He told Timothy, he said, Preach the word. Be instant, be ready, in season, out of season, rebuke, reprove and rebuke and exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And notice verse 3, he says, For the time will come. When they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts or after their own desires, shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. What does that mean? They're looking for a teacher, a preacher that will scratch them behind the ear or tickle their ear and tell them they're all right in the way they're living even if they're not. And there are multitudes of those teachers. And Paul said that time will come. They will not endure sound doctrine. I believe we're there, ladies and gentlemen, today. We're there today. Amen. And then over in 2 Peter, let me read one more verse from 2 Peter. Because 2 Peter and Jude are um, pretty synonymous. 
Um, some commentators, you know, they believe that, that Jude used and borrowed some things from Peter and from his epistle and put in his epistle or, or vice versa, but there are some things that are very, very much the same in both of those letters. But Peter said this in Second Peter chapter number 2 and verses 1 and 2. Look what Peter said. He said, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And in verse 2 he says, and many, notice this, and many shall follow their pernicious ways. That means their depraved ways, their evil ways, their, their sensual ways. In other words, they're going to be teaching things that appeal to the flesh of the people. And he said that many shall follow their, 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 their depraved ways by reason of whom the way of truth the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And that's what we see today by many of the false teachers. What we're teaching here tonight and what we teach here at Abundant Life Family Church is it, as it refers to the born-again experience and uh, being separated from the world and living a godly, holy, consecrated life. Well, that's, that's frowned upon by a lot of teachers today. And that's spoken against. Amen. Uh, you know, fundamental Bible beliefs, they have a word for us now, for us fundamental, Bible, they call us Bible thumpers, of course, but there's a new, there's a little slang term they have that I found out for those who are fundamental in the faith, they call us fundies, fundies, well, call me all the fundy you want to, amen. Well, I'm just, but I am. I, I, I think, and this is what Jude is getting at. We have got to earnestly contend for the faith. There's only one. There's only one faith. And we've got to earnestly contend for the faith. Amen. That was once delivered to the saints. So Paul warned against the great falling away of the last days. Jesus warned against being deceived in the last days. And so Jude gives the purpose for this little epistle in uh, verse number 3, which I said is the key verse. In verse number 3, and this is the purpose for him writing to them, he said, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was, notice this, once for all delivered to the saints. Do you know what that means? That means nothing else is going to be added to it. It was, it's been once for all delivered the faith, and this is it right here, and there's nothing else that's going to be added to it. And Jude, in this epistle, does not mince words, and he pulls out all the stops to unmask dangerous heretics and to stir up the saints to earnestly contend for the faith. Now, let's look at, at these first few verses tonight, and, of course, verse number 1. 
Jude it begins with and it, it describes and he identifies himself as who he, who he is and who's writing this letter. Uh, Jude is the brother of James. He says Jude a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to those who are, notice this, here's who he's writing to, to those who are called, who are sanctified by God the Father and some translations say beloved of God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So he identifies who the writer of this letter is. His name is Jude, which is short for Judas. And so we have to uh, identify, we know that we know who the famous Judas was, was Iscariot, the uh, apostle of the Lord that was the traitor or the betrayer. And possibly that's why Jude goes by Jude and not Judas. Amen. But Jude is short for Judas or Judah. And the Bible says here, who is this? Who is this Jude? It says he's the brother of James. James being the James uh, that wrote the epistle of James, who was the leader. James was the leader of the church at Jerusalem. He was, um, I guess you would say, the senior pastor or the lead pastor of that huge church at Jerusalem that 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 was. Um, that was formed there at Pentecost, after the day of Pentecost. So James was the, was the brother of Jude, Jude the brother of James, the pastor of that church. And both of these gentlemen were half-brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you find that in Matthew chapter, or Mark, I'm sorry, chapter 6 and verse 3, when Jesus went to Nazareth and they remember how that they... Uh, uh, they ridiculed him and they said, well, you know, well, who does he think he is? Uh, speaking all these great words and doing all these things. Why? Uh, we know who he is. He's, he's the carpenter. He's just the carpenter. We know his family, his brothers, and they named four of those brothers. And Ju uh, Jude, Judas, and James were two of them. And Simon, and I can't remember the name of the other one, but there were four brothers that were mentioned there plus sisters. So, what does that mean? That means that Jesus, of course, we know was Mary's firstborn. That Jesus was born uh, of Mary uh, and conceived by the Holy Spirit and was virgin born. That Mary was a virgin when Jesus was conceived. And, uh, but after the birth of Jesus, Joseph and Mary had other children. They had four sons that are mentioned, plus they had some daughters. So these were half brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ that uh, were raised up with him that knew him all of his life and uh, they but there's something about Jesus's siblings his half brothers and sisters they didn't believe who he was they didn't believe in him um, all through his life and ministry as a matter of fact they thought he was a little off Got any family members think you're a little off sometimes? Huh? 
But they did. They thought he was, they thought he was a little off. Remember, he was teaching in one place, and they, were, they thought he was beside himself. And they, they said, he's beside himself. We've got to get him out, there, out of there. And, uh, uh, you know, they said, uh, told Jesus, said, your mother and your brethren are outside waiting on you. And they want you to come and go with them. And he said, Here's, I'll tell you who my mother and my brethren are, those that hear and obey the word of God, are my, are my brothers and my sisters and all of that. But they thought he was crazy. They didn't believe in the Lord. They didn't believe he was who he proclaimed to be. All through his earthly ministry, they didn't believe on him till after the resurrection. After the resurrection, Jesus, according to Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, Jesus appeared to James after the resurrection and convinced him that he was the Messiah. I guess that would do it, wouldn't it? Amen. You saw him crucified and you knew they put him in a tomb and then here some days later here he is he appears to James James gets saved don't know if Judas was with him maybe or not when when Jesus appeared to James but if not James went and told Judas and Simon and the others hey the Lord he's who he said he was he's raised from the dead it's true well anyway they got saved after the resurrection they got converted and Judas and James we know of became great leaders in the church. James, as I said, the pastor of that church at Jerusalem and Jude, he writes this epistle. He was a preacher, no doubt. And we know something else about these two brothers, about Jesus' brothers. They were there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Ghost fell. Amen. They were there. Acts 1.14 says that these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and notice this, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So we know that Jude and James, uh, his brothers, the Lord's brothers, were there on the day of Pentecost. They were Holy Ghost filled, and so was Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was a tongue talker. Praise God. That'll blow your Catholic friend's mind. She was there on the day of Pentecost to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave her the utterance. But both James and Jude both gave, uh, began their books the same way. James, and you read both epistles, they began their books not by saying, I'm Jude, I am the half-brother of Jesus I'm somebody special. Well, you hear a lot of this, you know, today. I'm apostle so-and-so. I'm prophet hoop de doo You know, <laughs> glory to God. <laughs> but you know what? These guys didn't address themselves this way. They both begin their book the same way, not as a family member or a brother of Jesus, but they said uh, that they were bond servants bond slaves. The word in the Greek is doulos, and it means to be a bond slave of someone, somebody that has given their life for service. And this shows the modesty and the humility of Jude and James both. Amen. They were so close, and there's such a great truth here because here the people that were the closest to Jesus are happy to call themselves the bond servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that ought to be what we are today 
is, is bond servants, a slave of Jesus. Do you know that we're not our own? We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. If we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus and if we're his children, then we are bond servants of Jesus Christ. And he's writing here, he said, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, or beloved of the Father, God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. You've heard me say many times that the Bible says the saints are preserved, not pickled. Amen. So remember that. Amen. So they are called. They are called. All of us here tonight in this service, you've been called by the Lord. Do you know that? That you, you, have, you have been called and responded. You have responded to that call. That's why you're here. I don't know about anybody else, but I am so glad. And I thank God all the time. Lord, you didn't leave me the way I was. You didn't leave me where I was. Thank God that you sent the Holy Spirit to call me. You sent somebody to witness to me, to share the gospel to me. That you called me. Amen. God calls individuals to accept the gospel invitation. Amen. The Holy Spirit tugs at people's hearts and influences people's lives and convicts men and women of sin and draws people. Jesus even said, Jesus said that, that no, he said, no one comes to me except the Father who sent me draw him. So there has to be a drawing of the Holy Spirit. And I thank God for that call. Paul said that we are called to be saints. We've been called by the Spirit of God. And chosen. Are you glad you're chosen? Amen. I'm glad that I'm not a part of the chosen frozen. But I've been chosen by him. Amen. Chosen. That's the person. Who are those who are chosen? Is it just a specific group? Has God just, just hauled out some people and predestinated some to be chosen and to be saved? And others are chosen. These are chosen for heaven. These are chosen for hell. No, the Bible doesn't teach that. Everyone, everyone, the call goes to everyone. It's whosoever will. Jesus died for all. He died for the world. No such thing in the Bible as a limited atonement. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. He died for the world, for you and for me and for everybody. And the call of the gospel goes out to everyone and those who respond to that call. Hallelujah. Those that respond, many are called, but few are chosen. But when you respond to that call and accept the call, praise God, you're born into the kingdom of God and adopted into the the family of God and chosen by God. Well, give him praise. Woo, hallelujah. Amen. And you're sanctified. That's the other one. Hagios is the word used. It means to be set apart unto God, to be separated from sin, to be set aside or set apart for, for a holy purpose. And when we are sanctified, when we get saved, sanctification, sanctification is a definite and progressive work of grace in our life. When you get born again, God sanctifies you and sets you apart. He takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and translates you into the kingdom of God's Son. 
That's a separation, a setting apart, a sanctification. But then all through our life, there's a process that's going on called sanctification where we're becoming more like Jesus all the time. Amen. And we never come to that place where we're totally, entirely sanctified and completely perfect or completely holy until the trumpet sounds. Amen. But I'm glad to say I'm not where I used to be. I'm not where I need to be yet, but I'm not where I used to be. So I'm, I'm continuing sanctification to spiritual growth and development in our life. And he said he set us apart. He's, the, the, those who are sanctified are those who are dedicated to following God and living for God. It's uh, Another word for sanctified is holy or holy. Uh, the word saint is another word. We are all saints of God because we are set apart unto him and to his purpose. And then he said we're preserved. And that means to be kept, to be guarded, to be watched after, protected, looked after, and cared for by God. We are kept. Peter said we are kept by the power of God through our faith. How many knows that God has, the Lord has saved us and if as long as you keep your faith in him and believe in him amen that he will keep you Jude begins this this letter by talking about us being kept being kept or preserved in Christ and he ends this letter I think it's verse 24 by by talking about um, about him keeping us and keeping us from falling or keeping us us from stumbling and if you want to be kept you can be kept the problem is so many people don't want to be kept I want to be kept amen I don't want nothing to do with the world and with sin but he said we're guarded and watched and preserved he's preserved us from danger and that's what that word means to be preserved from danger damage defilement and damnation and this as is as that as as we remain in Christ Jesus. Notice we are preserved, we are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Christ Jesus. You are not continually kept and preserved if you get outside of Christ Jesus. Amen? We'll be dealing with some of that once saved, always saved stuff as we go through this epistle. So buckle your seat belts. Amen. <laughs> so he said, you're, he gives the salutation, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And we need all of that, right? Oh, I didn't think I had that much to cover tonight. And here we are. Verse 3. Let me read that again. Beloved. While I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which is once for all delivered to the saints. So Jude's intent, notice this. When Jude sat down to write this letter, his intention, his original intention was to write uh, a letter to them, an epistle to them concerning the common salvation. You see that? 
He wanted to write a letter about our salvation in Jesus. A letter of encouragement and, and about what it meant to be saved and the blessings of salvation. Probably a letter similar to some of Paul's epistles, you know, where he talked about salvation, what it is to be in Christ and be saved. And that was Jude's intention when he began to write. But as he sat down and began to write, the Holy Spirit got a hold of Jude. And and it took, uh, when he began to, to write, it took a different turn. And the Holy Spirit changed his direction and began to move upon him. And he was compelled. He said, he said uh, I was diligent, but he said, I found it necessary to write to you and exhorting you to contend for the faith. So the Holy Ghost begins to compel him. No, Jude, here's what you need to write about. Here's the message you need to give. And the Holy Ghost, you know, as Paul said in Timothy, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the last days, you know, there would be those that would depart from the faith. And that's what was happening to Jude. The Holy Spirit was speaking to him and, 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 um, and influencing him and compelling him to write an epistle about our battle against false teachers and against false teaching. And so that's how important that it was and, and still is today. He, he was telling Jude, he was letting Jude know, the Spirit was, that, that the saints needed to be stirred up and they needed to contend earnestly for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Attacks were being made against the Christian truth. The church had been infiltrated by people who were teaching a different message altogether and error was being mixed with the truth. And that's such a dangerous dangerous thing. When false doctrine, false doctrine rides into the church, it always rides into the church on the back of truth. Amen? The enemy never just announces, hey, I've got some false doctrine. It's always that secret mixture that he tries to mix it in. Jesus told a parable, you know, of, of, a, of a woman that, that, that had three measures of meal in, in Matthew chapter 13. Remember that parable? And she had three measures of meal and, and she, lived, uh, she hid some leaven in that meal until the whole was leavened. And I heard a guy preach one time and he said, well, that's how you you do the gospel. You put a little gospel into the world and it just spreads and takes over the whole thing. That ain't what he was talking about. There is no place in the Bible that, that the gospel is, is likened unto leaven. Anywhere leaven is used in the Bible, it refers to sin. It refers to false, do, false doctrine. Jesus said beware of the leaven of, of the Pharisees and of Herod. It never Leaven never refers to anything good. That's why we have unleavened bread. Leaven represents sin and evil and false doctrine. And what Jesus was saying was that, that, that in the last days the kingdom of God will be likened to that. The meal is the true word of God, but the evil people will introduce leaven into the true word of God. And that's what we have today, and that's what Jude was dealing with in his day. Jude's admonishing them. He's telling them it's time to contend for the faith, for the truth of the gospel, and to stand for the truth. And every true pastor is a watchman. Amen? 
Every true pastor is a watchman. And, and, and as I said at the beginning of this lesson, that um, every true pastor must not only feed the sheep, but also warn the sheep and warn the people of what's going on. Um, three times, three different places in the book of Ezekiel, I just read all three of them today, but in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 3, chapter 18, and chapter 33, God spoke to Ezekiel about being that watchman and warning the people. And notice, I'm going to read what he said to him in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17. He said, Son of man, I've made you. Now, this is for every, I believe this is for every true God-called pastor and minister. He said, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning or speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood... I will require it your hand. Yet, in other words, preacher, it's your fault. If you don't tell them what's right and wrong, and they die in their sin, you're responsible, preacher. It's getting quiet. Verse 19, he says, yet if you warn, here, here's the thing, if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Again, notice this. That's dealing with sinners. But notice this. Again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you did not give him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered. Kindly knocks the props out of once saved, always saved. But his blood will I require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, as, and, and also you will have delivered your soul. L ladies and gentlemen, this is the reason that I preach and teach the way that I do. This is the reason sometimes things that I say are not, not easy to say and not pleasant for people to hear. And some people have left because of it. But I will not stand before my God with the blood of any souls dripping from my hands because they died in their sin because this preacher didn't tell them what was right and what was wrong. I'm going to tell you what the Bible says is right and wrong. Amen? Hallelujah. Even if it appears even if it offends, even if people leave, I have the responsibility to God to warn everyone. And, and, and some people would say, well, that's Old Testament there, what you just read. That's, that was back in the Old Testament days. Let me, let me read to you what Paul said in, to the people at Ephesus in Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. Paul said, therefore I testify to you that this day, this is New Testament I'm reading, this is under the church age, Paul 
Paul said, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul was referring back to those passages there in Ezekiel, and he said, I don't have your blood on my hands because I've given to you the whole counsel of God. I've preached and taught to you everything. And let me tell you, every pastor will give an account to God for what they've preached, and this duty is being neglected today in many, many churches for the sake of church growth, for the sake of numbers. It's under the guise of tolerance and love, and we just got to love everybody, and we just got to tolerate everything. And yes, we do love everybody. Yes, we do. God loves everybody. But the Bible still tells us that there are things in, that, that if we allow in our life, there are, there are sins that will keep us out of heaven and people that will not inherit the kingdom of God if they live certain lifestyles. And we have got to be the watchman on the wall to tell them that God still requires repentance. Still requires repentance. He said that we must earnestly contend. Talking to the church for the faith. Once for all delivered. That word delivered means it's the faith that's been handed down or entrusted to us. It's the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. The teachings of the apostles that is in the New Testament. And these teachings have not changed. Can I get an amen? That word contend, earnestly contend, means to struggle. It means to agonize. It means to fight. It's the idea of athletes who are intensely, intensely struggling and competing and fighting with all of their might to win in their race or in whatever uh, wrestling match or whatever they may be involved in. There, there's an intense struggle going on. And can I tell you today that there is a struggle in these last days. There is an intense struggle to stand for the truth instead of us being fashionable, instead of us being popular, instead of us going with the flow and compromising the Word of God. It is a struggle to continue to stand for the truth and it's going to get to be even harder. Major, major, I, I, I'll probably get into this later on in, in this series, but uh, Mega church pastor, mega, mega church pastor. Um, recent message that he preached, just more or less affirming the homosexual community to come to his church. And uh, man, just made some statements about, he even said, he even, he even talked to them about the homosexuals, about how they, the homosexual Christians, and by the way, uh, there is no such thing. I know. See, here we go again, getting into areas that are that are that are uh, that are hard to deal with in the day we're living in because we're supposed to affirm everybody, but uh, we we do not affirm what the book does not affirm. Amen. But he said that the, the homosexuals, he said, I feel, I, I, he said, I can imagine how you are because you go to every church and try to feel welcome. 
and your same-sex couples and everything, and, and nobody wants you, and they, and they uh, you know, they, they kick you out. And, but, you know, he was basically saying, well, you're welcome here. And he, told, he even told them, he said, you have more faith than I do and more faith than other Christians in this church. No, 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 that's not right, ladies and gentlemen. I, I'm telling you, see, and this is kind of getting to be the thing today, that, that churches are going to affirm all of this. They're going to lean that direction. Uh, there was another big, big preacher, big preacher. Uh, if I called his name, you'd know exactly who he is. He's on TV all the time. But he's asked about his view on gay marriage and homosexuality. He said, my views are evolving. No, no, no. The Bible's not evolving, ladies and gentlemen. This word's not evolving. It means the same today that it always has. It's a struggle today. It's a contention today. It's a wrestling match today for us to contend for the faith and not compromise. But oh God, pray. Help us. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the preachers today that are standing for the truth that in these last days we'll continue to earnestly struggle and contend for the true gospel of Jesus Christ and we'll not give in and we'll not give up. Come on, amen. Hallelujah. This book, this Bible, this truth must not be twisted. It must not be added to. It must not be taken away from. Amen. It is the God's truth. This preacher that I was telling you about is affirming all these homosexuals. He made the statement. He said, I know the scriptures in 2 Corinthians and in Romans 1. He said, I know all the clobber scriptures. Referred to the scriptures against homosexuality as being clobber scriptures. In other words, I know, and this is where I got the thing where they called us fundies. I know the fundies, they take the clobber scriptures and beat you all homosexuals over the head with them. No, we're not beating you over the head. We're trying to keep you out of hell. We're trying to let you know that it's not okay, that there must be repentance and a turning from that and a turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. How many knows what I'm talking about? Amen. <laughs> Praise God. We're not clobber scriptures. That's what he referred to them as. So, we're, so in these last days, our work is cut out for us. We are going to need more of Jesus than we've ever had before. Now let me close this out. Verse 4. Here's the reason why we have to contend. Here's the problem. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn, notice here's what they're doing, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reason Jude was so impressed to write this letter. Because false teachers had crept into this early church. He used the word here. The New King James uses the word crept. The King James uses the word crept. Uh, but that Greek word is a word that means to slip in. It, it means to slip in unaware. To sneak in. To smuggle in secretly. The New Living Translation says that they have wormed their way into your church. I kind of like that. that. That's what they do. They, they're not going to come in announcing that they're preaching false doctrine or bringing false doctrine, but they worm their way in until they can get in and they put in a little at a time. 
The Amplified says, For certain men have crept in stealthily, gaining entrance secretly by a side door. In other words, they've slipped in through the side door. And what are these men doing? They're coming in secretly, slipping in secretly into the church. And he said, this is what they're doing. They're turning the grace of our God into lewdness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Two things that they were doing. They were taking advantage of God's grace and setting aside God's authority. They were taking advantage of God's grace and setting aside God's authority. The ESV says, who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality. The NIV says, who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality. The New Living says, saying that God's marvelous grace, here's what they were teaching, that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. Sounds to me like something I'm hearing today. The grace, you heard the grace revolution. Huh? Hyper grace, I've mentioned it many times here. That is very, gained a lot of popularity over the years. That says that everything's covered by grace and it doesn't matter how you live. I mentioned it Sunday that people are saying you don't have to, if you sin, you don't have to ask for forgiveness. You just go on and forget it. God don't even know it because grace covers it. They've turned, they've turned the grace of God. That word turn, turn means to pervert, to change, or to alter. They're altering the teaching of God's true grace. They're turning. And what this means is they're turning God's grace into a license to sin. The word to turn means to convey loose living. They've taught that it didn't matter how you live. That's what these evil, he called them ungodly men. Jude did. They're ungodly if they're teaching that. If people, if there's preachers that are teaching that it doesn't matter how you live because of grace, or if there's preachers that are preaching and saying, well, just you, if you made a commitment to the Lord uh, 50 years ago, but yet today you're living like a devil, it doesn't matter because God's grace still covers you. Those are ungodly men. Those are ungodly people. They're telling lies, ladies and gentlemen, because that is not the truth. They've turned the grace, in, they've turned God's grace into a license to sin. These men were gutting the faith of its, of its moral requirements. They were preaching a cheap grace. And the same thing is taking place today in this hyper-grace revolution that's going on in the, uh, around the world today. We live in 2020. 23. We live in a very permissive time. We live in a time when anything goes. There are things in life, ladies and gentlemen, that this Bible says no to. Amen. Whether people like it or whether they don't. That's the way that it is. Paul addressed the issue in Romans chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. He said what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abide He said, God forbid. He said, certainly not. He said, perish the thought. For how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer? How can we continue to live in sin? 
We're dead to sin and alive to righteousness. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Woo, hallelujah. Praise God. Let me, give you, let me give you Paul's definition of what grace does, and we'll, we'll close. Paul said in Titus, you're familiar with this, right? Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what the grace of God teaches. Paul said in Titus 2, 11, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, not just the elect, but to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, denying ungodliness, this is what grace teaches you. When you get saved by grace and God, you're living under the grace of God, the enabling grace of God, that grace teaches you, oh, no, 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 you don't do that. You deny all ungodliness and you deny worldly lust. And here's what grace teaches you, that you should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age. Right now today, in this old sin-cursed world, you live soberly, righteous, righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Because those are the only ones that's living that way are the ones who are going to see that blessed hope of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what grace teaches. Grace is not a license. God's grace is His unmerited favor to us. Grace is God giving us what we do not deserve, giving us eternal life through our faith in Him, and then giving us the grace that enables us, the Holy Spirit within us, that enables us to live a holy, righteous life. We're not living it on our own, but we're living it by His grace. Amen? But that grace is not a license to live any way we want or anything the flesh wants to do. Amen? But that's what they were doing. These men had crept into the church, and they're creeping in today. It's on Facebook. that There's those on Facebook that teach the same thing, that you're under grace. You don't need any, any kind of moral laws or regulations. We're under grace, but grace teaches us to live a holy life. Amen. Said they deny, they, 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 they deny, they turn the grace of God to lewdness and they de- deny the only Lord and our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word Lord, the only Lord God, that word Lord refers to one who holds authority and power over the life and the affairs of another person. And there's a lot of people want Jesus as their Savior. They want to get that hell free card. They want Jesus as their Savior, but they don't want Him as their Lord. But He's got to be your Lord. He's got to have total authority and power over your life, over all of your affairs. And these teachers in Jude's day and ones that we know of today are anti-teachers are anti-authority. They reject the notion by their teaching and by their loose living that Jesus is their King and their Lord. They did what they wanted to do, and it was kind of like, and it's getting that way again today, kind of like in the days of the book of Judges, 
where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. They don't want any fundy preacher telling them what to do or how to live. You want to start a big argument on Facebook, just post on there that it's wrong for Christians to drink alcohol. They'll jump on that like chickens on a June bug because most of them today believe that it's okay. But why are they believe in that now? Because they've got teachers that's wormed their way in. Amen? Assembly of God churches are facing it. All Pentecostal churches are facing it. They've wormed their way in, telling them, oh, you're under grace. It don't matter what you do. Oh, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, oh, God help us that we'll stand for what is right. Amen? We'll stand for what is right. Hallelujah. The church has always been just one generation short of extinction. And our generation must guard the truths, and that's what Jude's calling us to do, must guard the truth, the faith of Jesus Christ, and pass that baton on should the Lord tarry and entrust it to this next generation. I don't know. What is, what is this, what is it, Generation X that's, they, they, that's there today? The, the, the youngsters today, the 18 to 25, that so many of them don't want nothing to do with God. Amen. But what, what are we going to do? We've got to earnestly contend for the faith. Pass it down. Pass it down.